I have a short list of mentors. First, there's Seymour, my old therapist. Then Cliff, my supervisor from Bayside Marin. And finally, Gary Bubash, licensed marriage and family therapist. My once unwitting roommate back in 2002. Today, we talk about the before times, before we became therapists, before I lost 100 pounds, before Gary gave up his job as a video editor to go back to school in his mid-40s. While I have always prided myself on being a straightforward therapist, Gary Bubash takes it to the next level, actually several next levels. Some impossible mix of drill sergeant and teddy bear, Gary has mastered the art of authentic, constructive feedback. Today, we discuss Gary's ideas about therapy and healthy living, about the importance of taking whatever you have and making it the best it can be. Everything from getting those dirty dishes out of the sink, taking care of your body, to speaking your mind whenever it is critically important. And lastly, the value of receiving and giving difficult feedback, and how this actually helps people bond. My name is Benjamin Russick, licensed marriage and family therapist, and this is my podcast, Look, Just Tell Me What to Do. All right, so I am here with, who are you? Oh, my name is Gary Bubash. What are you, Gary? I am a friend of Ben. No, no, no. You're more than that. Oh, the other part. Yeah. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Which is an impossible thing. Which is an impossible thing. But we'll get to that. Yeah. So for those of you listening at home, the reason I invited Gary in today is that I knew Gary a very long time ago, and he and I were so radically different as human beings, I really don't know how we ended up here. I'm sitting here with Gary in my insanely expensive apartment in San Francisco, and we're both relatively calm and collected, and we both have jobs, and he's got a live-in girlfriend, and I don't, which is lucky for whoever (laughs) isn't dating me. And um, (laughs) all those lucky women out there. The world might be better off. They don't even know how blessed they are not to have me in their lives. Anyway, so. That's uh, so not true, Ben. Isn't it? All right. My friend Brooke told me to stay away from self-deprecating humor. So Brooke, I hear you, but I just had to throw that one in because I think that's actually kind of funny. So anyway, today's talk is going to be our journey from soup to nuts, how we got from these sort of crazy dudes watching Jon Stewart in this house in San Rafael, spending a lot of time yelling at each other to this position. So Gary, where did we meet and when did we meet and how did we meet? The first thing I want to say, though, is did you know that our address is the code for murder? 187? Yeah. Yeah. A 187? Yeah, we lived like, on 187 Greenfield, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Dana, we got a 187. It's pretty kind of surprising that a 187 didn't occur at that household, <laughs> based on what I know about the occupants at the time. Yeah. At the time I was living there, I think you, I moved in before you, I was living with a guy named Mike Childress, and then- this woman, what was her name? Remember, Ben, I wanted to protect the innocent. Fuck the innocent. Okay. Um, what was her name? The the, the Monica? Monica. Yeah. Oh, Monica. With the cat that shit in the uh Yeah, and then she got that horrible microwave stand that you said was <laughs> you said it was bad she 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 went and got this microwave stand and puts it it's big and Gary like kind of comes home and looks and goes this is bad cheats too big it's just ugly and he he goes over the whiteboard because the, the 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 stand was right beneath the whiteboard he writes the words bad chi in, in pen with an arrow 
<laughs> the fucking stand. That was amazing. I think that was the beginning of that I realized you were the only one that understood anything I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely true. <laughs> I mean, imagine, I mean, people listening to this, think of it if you wrote that on a board like, and you were like, you know, 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. And you saw that and you don't know, you know, I don't really know her really. Right. I mean, right. You know, here's this guy that comes in and she has no idea of my history. Yeah. And I write that. Yeah. <laughs> So we moved in, it was what, 2004? I think it's earlier, man. I think it's like 2003 or two or three. Really? Like that that yeah. long ago. So I had moved to San Rafael. I was, I'd gone to UC Berkeley and then I went and got my master's degree in creative writing from St. Mary's. And I was dating a woman for three years. Um, she dumped me, which was totally appropriate. And uh, Jessica, hi, if you're out there. And um <laughs> I didn't know where else to go, so I, I just want, didn't. I knew I didn't want to be in the East Bay, so I left the East Bay and moved to San Rafael because there was work for me out there. And at the time, I was uh, uh, what was the word he used to describe my physical shape earlier? Tubbo. Tubbo. I was a tubbo. I weighed about two hundred and eighty pounds, yeah, pushing were, that. Maybe three. Pushing, I was pushing, pushing it. I was like a size fifty. I was a big boy. Yeah, you were big. And so I moved into this house with this guy Mike Childress, who was nice at the time. And then a couple that had were about were on there were moving out, and we were whatever. We needed someone to replace them, so Gary moved in. And um, Gary seemed fine at first. Nice guy, upstanding, very smart, bright. But little did we know that. The, the force of Gary was about to descend upon this household <laughs> with a fury that I had not encountered in all of my years and would shape me in ways that I would that will I will never forget. I only did it out of love. You, I, it was love, and I know it now. <laughs> <laughs> I know it now, and I'm so grateful for it. But Gary, why don't you talk about you moved in and what did you see? What did you yeah. encounter? It's 2003, so, and you're living with a tubbo and my and right. this guy. Oh, there's so much I remember. You know, and it's interesting because I remember I walked in and I looked at the place. I looked at the location. I said, "This is cool." And the weird thing was that there were all these antiques all over the house. There was like the stuff that was like a hundred years old. And I think it was Monica's. Oh. Yeah. And I said, so you like antiques, <laughs> right? <laughs> and she looks at me and goes, yeah, well, some of them are my sisters and blah, 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 and all this stuff. Uh -huh. And I said, oh, okay. All right. So uh, I thought they were the ugliest things I'd ever seen. You, you said know? that to her? I said that to her too. Oh I said, I didn't like them. I said, I really not like antiques. <laughs> you said you just moved in and said that? Well, it wasn't right after. I, it was shortly thereafter. I just said, you know, I'm not really an antiques guy. And I said, it's, you know, I said, the space is cluttered is what it was. That yeah. was the word I used, cluttered. Yeah. And I said, I just feel a little boxed in. I said, but, you know, you've been here longer than me. Do what you want. Right. You know? And slowly but surely, she grew resentment. And funny things started happening. Like her cat started shitting in the sink near my room. And yeah. You think that was because of her? Well, I think that the cat knew that there was something we didn't like about each other. Ah, the cat. And I think the cat, and I looked at it as, you know, the cat kind of, what do you call that? Uh, <sighs> sort of uh, sublimating her stuff. Or, or narcissistic projection on your part, because yeah. you think it's all about you. And I think it's all about me. <laughs> yeah. I think I like the narcissistic project that is all about me part. Okay. I mean, that could be pretty true. Okay. Well, we are therapists, so we can we, diagnose. Yeah, I can diagnose can you. You can diagnose we, me. We do have, we have a license. We can do that. We can do that now. I want to talk about the fact that uh, you objected to many of my habits. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I 
can't remember all of them. I remember talking about food a lot. And I think one of the reasons was I had just gone to this place called Metabolic Nutrition and I was mm -hmm. telling you about it. Right. I, and I think I was doing it at that time because they were one of my clients where I was working and I ended up getting real thin and healthy as hell. I felt like a barracuda. You know what I mean? I was mm -hmm. just like, Rah! Right. I remember talking to you about that and saying, you know, hey, you wanted to lose weight or something. You yeah. had intimated it. I was on I was on Atkins at the time. You were on Atkins. Yeah, that's right. You were mm -hmm. on Atkins. But you were a complaining little bitch about it. Oh. Remember? How, how so? Oh, uh, well, you know, it'd be like uh, grouchy, real quick tempered, mm -hmm. you know, just really short with me. About you know, food? About everything. About everything. About everything. Yeah. yeah. It was kind of, you know, I sort of got that. And I went, okay, all right, Ben, yeah. But I'm not sure, I don't think you ever did go to Metabolic, did you? No, but we, we got into it about a lot of things. I had left, I think, a dish out on the counter or something like that. And I came home from work one day and you were like, bro, 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 no, 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 no. This this isn't right, man. You can't just leave this dish in the sink like that. You've got to put that shit away. It's like, if you're going to do that, you got to text me and let me know, man. Like, yo, I had to leave and I left the dish in the sink. Because when you leave the dish in the sink, you're basically saying, I want you to clean that, Gary. And I didn't even have text then, dude. Whatever it was. Whatever <laughs> the fuck it was. And I just remember, like, you had this sort of, in my sort mm -hmm. of young, immature entitled brain like a kind of a conniption an ongoing conniption fit and panic attack about the state of the kitchen like if i left out so much as a box of tea i would hear i would hear about it and it wouldn't be like you'd hear about it passively gary's from chicago and he will go right up to you and say dude you did x y and z you need to stop that we need to talk about this right now and it was like we had i don't know how many conversations that were just like i'm like i can't believe this guy is drilling me like this every day every day what did you say about you said something about me you said i'd never lived with grown-ups before <laughs> <laughs> i did say that <laughs> your memory is much better than mine on those on those little details like that but yeah yeah uh something just made me say that and I think it stopped you in your tracks. It did. It really did stop, and I could see it. And that's when I started liking you because I said, "Hey, this guy hears me." Oh, awesome! Oh, that's cool. You know? Yeah, I didn't feel like you liked me. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. But you taught me how to cook. You taught me how to cook steak correctly. Yeah. Just you were, you were, you were ruthless with your love. And I guess what I want to talk about is just like how different I was as a person, and how because you have mellowed considerably since then. Yeah, I think I have. it was kind of amazing to have my shit called out like that on an hourly basis really well you know prior to living there I, i'd lived in situations that really worked and i was an adult i was older than you guys yeah and there's something about people when when an older person is around a younger per, a person people mm -hmm. there's this art of trying to communicate stuff and you have to kind of as an older person you have to kind of estimate and sort of assess in a way uh, a person's resilience mm -hmm. can they actually hear this because i didn't say things by accident like you know you left your dish in there mm -hmm. there was something about that irked me and i think it's it reminded me of some of the worst parts of myself okay. in other words my life started to work when i started to focus on what i was doing yeah i know that sounds kind of kind of general but like right now i'm focusing on the microphone not moving yoda my said head it away from yoda me. said it he said he said never his mind on where he was who said what that he was doing yoda oh yeah, yeah. he said he was this his main criticism of luke skywalker yeah yes and i actually do use that in my practice too i let people know that mm -hmm. not in the sense i don't bring up yoda but i say <laughs> you know when you're going to when you're going to go do something you know they you know the hardest part for a person in therapy to do is to actually participate in it when you're not in therapy with them yeah uh you know they're looking for the breakthroughs in the in the session and that's 
not where it happens. Yeah. Unfortunately. Right. And I've, I think I've gotten the worst feedback from people who say, well, it's not happening fast enough. Well, you're not doing anything in between the sessions. Like yeah. We expect. But back to what I was saying, um, I think it reminded me of parts of myself that I had dealt with. It really worked when I sort of got my physical life together. Yeah. When I got the physical pieces of my life together, mm -hmm. it was a relief. I started paying attention to cooking and cleaning and not overly, but, you know, I wasn't in a position where I could have my own house or, you know, live somewhere mm -hmm. by myself mm -hmm. and have my own thing. You know, that, mm -hmm. that wasn't going to happen at that time. But everything else started to work around the fact that I was getting this together. And then when I would see, like in, in the case with you, Ben, when I would see things, mm -hmm. you know, I could see the, just the not caring about yourself. Yeah. And that just bugged the crap out of me. It was an accurate assessment yeah. too. I did not care about myself. And, but I never said that to you. You don't care about yourself. But I would say things like, you never live with adults or you haven't really had to do this, have well, you? Well, one thing you said that was really helpful um, even though you said it with like fire and brimstone, mm -hmm. <laughs> like probably three inches from my face and at an elevated voice, he, you said something about living to your highest standard possible. Like mm -hmm. whatever situation that you're in, in life, if you're living in a hovel, fine, clean the floors, make it as the best hovel that's ever right. existed. Yeah. And that, I couldn't argue with that. Cause you, you said, Ben, this is how adults live. This is, this is, this is how adults live. And I'm like, no, they don't. What I realized was that I was sort of half right in the sense that no, not everybody lives this way, but the people that don't live this way are kind of suffering. Yeah. I'm not saying that you have to live in an immaculate apartment. It's just like, but be your best self. Have your apartment be its best self in a right. way, right? And that's yeah. therapeutic, I would say. You know, you're, you're just getting it right on the head that, mm -hmm. you know, in my life, I straighten things out when things aren't right. Right. When I don't feel right, like today, I just, you know, I got some, I got, I got like, you know, a couple of trauma clients that are really in distress and they really, one of them has been complaining all the time mm -hmm. and it really wearing me out, mm -hmm. really wearing me out. So I've been having to deal with that and get, you know, get some consultation and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of brought me down. Yeah. You know? And then the smoke and the, everything. Yeah. So me and my girlfriend, this great Hawaiian style dinner and I took a cold shower and, mm -hmm. you know, found a shirt I wanted to wear and mm -hmm. all of a sudden I started picking up. Uh -huh. And then I got in the car and I said, oh, cool, Ben. Yeah. I'm driving in the car, you know, oh, I'm coming to San Francisco. Yeah. All of a sudden it just started picking up because yeah. things were kind of like in order. Yeah. I had a client cuss me out today and fired me on the spot, which is fine, but I won't get into it because of confidentiality. But after the phone call, after he hung up on me, I sat down and like, I'm behind on my notes. I went through all my notes and did all my invoices for all of my patients, made a mental note to like, you know what? I'm going to be more on time with my notes and review my notes before session. And like, even though I'm feeling really shitty that this guy just ripped me apart, I'm going to use that energy and I'm going to become a better clinician. I'm going to be a better clinician yeah. by tonight. And I also cleaned up and I just like whatever I could control, whatever threads I could pull together mm -hmm. out of that energy to create something better. I just, I'm going to do that, whatever that was. Well, let's go back to 187 because there is a conversation I remember having. Mm -hmm. We were talking about working out. And I said something like, you know, sometimes I just can't get to the gym, man. You know, I mean, it's one of those things where I just can't get to the gym. And we started talking it out, talking it out. Mm -hmm. And there was something I said, or you said, I think you might've said this, you know, you know, sometimes you, you said something to the effect, sometimes you just got to point your body in that way and just go. And how I heard that was, oh, I see. I can actually make my feet move in that direction without having to think that that's what I'm doing. Yeah. So you just make your body go that way. Yeah. And that's kind of like how what we're talking about works is that you do something. Uh, one of my mentors years ago when I was about 18 or 19, uh, maybe 20, told me, you know what the world needs, Gary? And I said, what? He goes, 
something that doesn't make so much freaking sense. <laughs> that's interesting. You know? And I and I've and that has just resonated with me. Uh-huh. I think that's part of what my direct style is about. Mm-hmm. And I think you picked up on that. I think mm-hmm. I think you saw that I that it was also something I'm working through. That's what I think. That I saw that? Yeah. I think you saw that as well and I and I think how yeah. you came, well <clears throat> in a way though Maybe I'm stretching it a little too far, but I think you really would have hauled off at me if it was really that bad. Yeah, and you didn't. That's what I noticed. Yeah, I only I only bit your head off once. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> that, but it didn't last long. No, it didn't last long. We got over it. Yeah. I've just been dumped by my girlfriend, and you came in bitching at me about the recycling, and I just had had it. I'm like, I don't want to hear about the fucking recycling. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, and um, you know. <laughs> There it is. But I knew that you had a very interesting personality and I knew that your direct style and your confrontational style was an outlier and mm-hmm. that it wasn't necessarily necessarily healthy and that you could you had a lot to learn about that, but I also knew that you were more you knew more than I did and that it wasn't it wasn't personal. It wasn't like you were out to get me or you weren't one-upping me. You weren't trying to crush me. You were actually interested in preserving your sanity and helping mine. And that was a really interesting, and I could sense that's like, this guy is not out to get me. He just literally wants the place to be clean and he literally wants me to be a better person. Yeah. That is actually what he wants. And that's exactly what I was doing. Yeah. You know, I didn't go, I, I, I slept well at night. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like I went to bed saying, yeah, I'm really an asshole. No. You know, and there was there was a time I think when we watched John Stewart's Daily Show when yeah. it was first starting, that's why I think it was early 2003, 2002. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were cracking up at the same stuff. Yeah. And we were talking about the same stuff. And eating the same food. And eating the same food. Like I would I would make the steaks or the chicken. We would just sit there and you would actually teach me how to eat chicken. <laughs> He's like, you know, I just got to put it in front of you. Just tear it up. Just tear, tear it, it up. apart, man. Yeah. Just tear that chicken apart. And I'm right. like, okay. Yeah. I learned that in college. We had a house, a huge house, and, and we had a bunch of guys living in it. Yeah. We would have these meals and we'd put all the, we'd, we'd cook all this food. Uh-huh. And a couple of the guys were really good cooks and I was too. And so we would have all this, we'd have a spread and we were on this alleyway and uh, we were smoking a lot of dope and drinking a lot then too. Yeah. So, but we put all the food on the table and the dining room table was a big picture window right. out to this alley. Yeah. And once a week, the uh-huh. cops would come by uh-huh. and watch us. We would see cops in the, yeah, <laughs> it was like the weirdest thing in the world. We'd go, you know. Why would they watch you? Because we were probably loud, uh-huh. you know, really loud okay. and doing that kind of stuff. So, you know, th- I think that's where that kind of started from. And we it was just really fun yeah. to just be a beast on the food. Yeah. Oh, it was so satisfying. Do you remember, like, this is a, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I had moved out and I would, hang out with you and you had this this uh, with all due apologies to all vegetarians and vegans everywhere except for the ones in marin county um <laughs> had, this guy had moved in and he had all these hippie earthy crunchy friends there was a party they were having a little party and it was like the they were like we were looking in the window and like the food was just like celery sticks and mozza yeah. just like the most flat like unappetizing like what the fuck is this shit <laughs> and then these these assholes because they're marinites got in a circle and held hands and like oh, yeah. and, then, and then and they're like i don't know what the fuck they were to some stupid marin thing we're, sitting on the, we're standing on the porch or something and then we so we held hands and we danced around the circle yeah. and just mocked the shit out of them right 
Because we could not do it. I couldn't not make, make we could not make fun of it. Because and it was like somebody f- got mad. Remember? Yeah, the, your roommate sent you an email. I was outside with my I was inside with my friends celebrating a good time and and it's like, bro, have a sense of humor. It's like the same reason that you can't take a joke is the same reason you can't fucking eat a steak, motherfucker. Like there's something somehow it was connected. I don't know how, but anyway, um, we had a we had a thing with food, Gary and I, and I kind of want to go back a little bit. The great irony about your particular somewhat neurotic way of communicating was that that was the one thing that would have gotten through to me. Nobody else on the planet would have been able to get through to me without having that level of energy behind what you were doing. So I could feel, I felt like my brain was being rewritten and it was like, I really, really needed it badly. Even though it was, it appeared borderline abusive. I'm like, no, this Mm -mm. is, I need this. I'm getting better. I'm like, I'm not afraid of this guy. I I need this. Cause like, I mean, like the other guy, uh, Mike fucking Mike, who was living right next to me, who would play his music in the middle of the night. And I, he would like make me feel like I was worse than that. He had that low level, like boom, boom. Boom, yeah, boom, and he would just boom, play boom. it all the time, yeah. and he thought that I was an asshole for telling him to turn down his mm-hmm. fucking music at night. And it's like, he he, of course, was from the Midwest, and he was pretty funny. I mean, he would say things I wouldn't piss on her if she was on fire, yeah. you know, and like stuff like that. And he was pretty funny and straightforward and kind of in your face too. But the problem was is that he wouldn't say anything until he was really, really furious. Like this time, I broke his rocking chair because I was so fucking heavy. I sat in his rocking chair and smashed it. <laughs> And he said something about like, well, it was fine until your fat ass sat down in it. <laughs> and uh, which I don't blame him for. But he never, he wasn't direct in the right yeah, way. He's actually from the South. South, sorry. Well, he, has, he had that kind of Southern humor, you know. Yeah, but he, knew, he would never be direct about stuff. And it just, I just wanted to kill him. And I still want to kill him. Like if I saw him on the street today, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't hurt him, of course, but I would I would have words to say to him, like, fuck you, man. Mm. You know? Like you kept me up at night, you know, you made me feel like I couldn't come home and like sleep because your fucking music would be playing or your radio would be playing and yeah. you thought I was the asshole. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, to go back to that, just taking a couple steps back again, mm-hmm. one of the things my friends that I'm still friends with and I'm still in communication with guys I've known since we were in diapers together. Mm-hmm. That's a long freaking time. Mm-hmm. And we email and all this kind of stuff. But we had, we were really tight for our first 18 years. I mean, we were a gang of guys. Mm-hmm. The way that we talked, I talked with you, was the way we talked to each other. Mm-hmm. But it was more about, you know, you know, did you get the money for the weed or right, did right, you go right. get the beer? Did, were, did you, you know, did, did, you don't have gas money, get the fuck out of here, yeah. you know? But it was that kind of directness. But there is a love between us yeah. still to this day. Yeah, I bet. And there is something about that. It's like, you know, it's just moments that have shared. And I think that's what's kind of going on with me and you. We shared a pretty, pretty decent, we shared pretty decent moments. Yeah, we did. You know. And I think human connection, I was talking to a patient about this earlier today. Like human connection is a mysterious thing. Like how do you really know when you're connected to somebody? And honestly, I think the way that men connect is kind of violent. Like in jujitsu, like the people that I jujitsu with, like I'm pretty connected to those people because we beat the crap out of each other. We're all we all love each other yeah. in pieces. I've been thinking about that, by the way. You doing it? In, no, not doing it. But you and jujitsu, because there was a time when you told. I, I remember when you started. You, oh my god, I've known you a long time. Yeah, I remember when you started. I remember the day you started. Almost, you were like, "This is really hard," mm-hmm. you know. But you were you were committed. There was no doubt in my mind you were committed. I mm-hmm. think you started when you were working for that lawyer guy, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I remember when you started it and 
and then when we kind of like you know moved out and we mm-hmm. kind of didn't have as as regular contact mm-hmm. but when we did you were still doing it every time i'd see you yeah and then i realized you you got a black belt didn't you like yeah i got a black belt yeah a couple of years back yeah and it was like you know i i was like wow you know i i was like proud for some reason yeah. i had no idea not like proud like oh i you know it's mm-hmm. because of me no it was kind of like wow i know this guy who actually did this shit what, yeah. wow and i was losing weight too and you were losing weight i was losing weight i mean the time i saw you um in san francisco when uh uh i interviewed for that job at uh the the woman altamira no it wasn't no. Altamira. oh foundations foundations yeah yeah and i saw you then you were like in ripping shape mm-hmm. you were ripped mm-hmm. and i was like what the hell you <laughs> came running up that ramp and i was like what the hell <laughs> and, you said, and then you said really you ran out i guess you had a client or something yeah and uh i was like wow ben looks like ripped you looked ripped yeah you know do i still look ripped yeah you do you still look you still look fairly in that shape <laughs> not quite but close yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah so but that was i think you were primed right then yeah it was like four years ago maybe yeah four yeah or five years ago yeah so I think my part in all of that that you're talking about is that it really is a projection from my friends I grew up with. Yeah. That's the way we treated each other. Oh, yeah, we that's treated great. each other. Like we have a friend. Yeah. We're all pretty liberal. We have a kid who's a total Trumper. Yeah. I mean, he uses the language, pandemic, uh, okay. you know. Yeah, the whole thing. The whole thing. Yeah. And it, it's like, you know, all this fires here and, and there's been earthquakes like in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He's, uh, he's out there telling everybody it's biblical prophecy. Oh, so everybody was kind of ragging on him. And, I, and, I, and, you know, and he's not what I would call educated or anything right. like that. So he doesn't have a lot of differentiation about things. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of emotional about it. And so realizing that, I, I told these guys, I said, you know, there's like six of them. I said, you know, if you're really going to be upset with him and, and try to change him, you're really going down the wrong tube mm-hmm. because that's like bullying. Yeah. I said, you guys are all smart, educated. I'm smart, educated. Mm-hmm. I know the difference between things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's hard enough for me to be spiritual and be a real person. Yeah. And But when you put knowledge behind that to fake myself out like I think I'm something, mm-hmm. you can't do that to him. Yeah. This guy thinks he's something, but he doesn't understand the difference right. between things. For him, you know, he's mm-hmm. going to listen to Rush Limbaugh. Right. He's going to listen to Al- Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. It'd be a bully. And then the last thing I said was, and here's the other thing I want to tell you guys. He's an OG. Yeah. I don't care if he shits on babies. Okay. <laughs> he's an OG, you know? Yeah. You got you to gotta get his back. You know, every it kind of shifted things. Yeah, yeah, that's good. The thing is, is I, I think that you you base your relationships on authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, my friend uh, T.J. Woodward, he's a spiritual leader guy, and he's one of his big things is authenticity, and he's right. And because you, because everything you said to me was completely authentic, mm-hmm. and everything I think I said to you was more or less authentic. I think I know and, T.J. Did he work at Altamira? Yes. Yeah, I know T.J. Yeah, yeah, brilliant guy. But when you're authentic with people, I think you make connection like. Even if it's negative, mm-hmm. it's if it's a negative interaction, but it's authentic. It's like in a weird way, nobody's getting hurt. It's very strange. Some people do, though. A client example would be: I had a guy just f- kind of fire me too because uh-huh. he was ranting and raving about his problems with his father and you know CPTSD and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, okay. And so we were going through stuff. And at one point, you know, he kept going back to the same story. And I and but he every time he talked about him he would act the same way right and it almost looked like an eight-year-old huh and i said let's go back to when you were eight years old uh-huh. for a second w- what happened then and he would say nothing 
<laughs> and I go, okay. It's a whole lot of nothing. Well, I hadn't built, I, I, I could, it was very difficult to build a trusting relationship with yeah. him. Yeah. You know, he, he was really traumatized. Yeah. And it ended up that I finally said, you know, that when you talk about your father, you, you look eight years old. Right. So I think that there's something there we should probably look Oof, at. That's pretty direct. Yeah. That's as direct as you can get, especially with somebody with that kind of trauma. Yeah. And the father, it was only emotional trauma. It wasn't physical or sexual, just emotional. Yeah. Just emotional. Right. But that's all. That's all. Just emotional. Nothing get big. over it. Yeah. God, <laughs> why are you such yeah. a wuss? Right. But um, I get, you know, that was my mistake. Yeah. And I, and in the long run, you know, we're, we're probably weren't a good fit that way. Well, he needed to be coddled a little bit more. Yeah. And some clients need that. Yeah, they do. And that, I don't blame them because they yeah. like they weren't coddled in their lives. So they need yeah. to be held in a way that works. Let's talk about when you started going to Pacifica. Yeah. Yeah. And you still were at the house when you started that. Was I? I think so. Yeah, I think I was. Because I think I met I I met a girl. No, wait, no, no, I wasn't. I was no, I was not at the house. I was living in Fairfax because I remember putting my application in the mailbox in Fairfax. Hmm. Because I met a girl, Cynthia. Did you ever meet Cynthia? Blonde hair, mm -mm. petite. Anyway, so I met this girl, uh, liked her a lot, and mm -hmm. think, fuck, man, how am I going to make any money? You know, I'm a, I'm a paralegal. I'm not making shit and 20 mm -hmm. bucks an hour, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I can't support kids doing that. I got to go back right. to school, be like my dad. My dad. You wanted to have kids with her? Well, I liked her a lot. I was 30. What did I know? You know, it was just like all my hormones started going. It was yeah. just like, you know, it was like a, I just had this moment where like, if I want to be with this woman and like do a thing and have a life, I'm going right. to need to make more money. So I just threw my application in. Why did you want to talk about that? Because there was a conversation we had that was really interesting. I remember it used to go to that coffee shop up on uh, San Anselmo app. Oh yeah. And, I was uh, addicted to that coffee shop. And I think that's where the first time I ran into you after not seeing you for about a year or so. Oh really? Yeah. So I had happened to be editing a piece about Joseph L. Henderson, who was the last living That's protege. Right. And uh, Gary used to be an editor, yeah. a film editor before he was yeah. a therapist. And the uh, film was uh, done by a local producer and we got a chance to work on it. So mm -hmm. what happened was we started this, this conversation arose when I started talking about that. I said, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at this stuff and I'm really like fascinated by it. Right. I actually kind of get it. Uh -huh. And you know, and I don't know if anybody of your listeners know who Joseph L. Henderson is, but he was pretty dry mm -hmm. and he's really kind of, what's the word, evolved. Yeah. You know, <laughs> he really it's like super, Joseph Campbell, you know. Yeah, he was like that kind of level in his books, you know, in the, the thing, uh, the initiation book, what was it called? Uh, an archetype the, of the initiation. Archetype of the initiation. He was all into archetypes and dreams yeah. and Jungian It's theory. almost unreadable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, but yeah. I actually read it. I actually made it through it. And then I talked to you and you kind of, you started saying things to me like, you know, you should go to Pacifica. They're going to have like an open house. And I think you told me two or three times to, to go there over like a six or seven month period. Just to check it out. Just to check Why it not? out. Check it out, you know? And I think based on our relationship and everything we just talked about, you thought, you know, you're kind of like a therapist in a way. Yeah, because you tell people how it is. You t you're, a, you're a teacher and a teller and yeah. a truth speaker and you liked to help people and you'd helped me yeah. and I knew it. Yeah. And uh, what was kind of amazing to me was that even though you had transferred a lot of shit onto me, like with learning how to keep up my life, something came in the other direction. Yeah. I don't know what I gave to you, but you, something mm -hmm. must have happened because you yeah. went back to school. Yeah, I went back to school, and mm -hmm. which is really, really odd for me. Really odd. I mean, it really was. I went mm -hmm. there, and I sat there, and I listened to these guys. Mm -hmm. And there was somebody from 
a screenwriter from Hollywood who I actually knew. Right. She had graduated from there in the uh, mythology program. Mythology. The, the blonde pro- lady. Uh, she was kind of a heavy set woman. Heavy set. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was talking right into me, man. Just right. All right. that stuff was talking right into me. Right. Right. And I left there and I went. Shit, what do I got to lose, man? I mean, I, this is. I, how can I walk out of here and not do it now? How I, old were you at the time? Uh, I was probably 40. 40? 45. 45? Yeah. And I got back home and I thought about it and I said, yeah, you know what? I'm going to do this. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what happened. And that's exactly how it's how it happened. But, yeah. you know, I, it, your prompting sort of got me going in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember also at uh, when we were living at the house, you were reading this book on like the East and the West. It was like this tomb of a book you were reading yeah. about history. Remember yeah, that? Yeah. And you were so, so into it. Yeah. Yeah, wait, what was that one? But I just remember you were so excited about it, and I was like, "This guy is a deep fucking thinker. Like, yeah. this guy is interested in the human soul, and like, he he ought to. I, I don't know. It was just it, it it all fits now as I look back on yeah. it. You know, and it was also really remarkable to watch you go through the throes of Pacifica, and then go through your internship, and like do all the mm-hmm. shit that I had done. Mm-hmm. It was also I, I have to say, <laughs> I have to say this. I always felt like I was one down because, you know, I was the slob, fat slob who didn't know shit. And you were like teaching me how to live. Mm-hmm. And suddenly in a, in a way, mm-hmm. roles were reversed. I was ahead. <laughs> I got to be ahead of you, yeah. at least in my own mind. Well, let me tell you my experience of that. I know what you're saying, uh-huh. but what you don't get is that that was like totally perfect to me. Say more. Here I was doing this life-changing thing, mm-hmm. and there's a person mm-hmm. who's walked on the same ground and talked to the same teachers and went through the same process, Yeah, and he's done with it. You're my guy. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, you're just my guy. What was it like, though, having me going from like this guy that you were basically teaching to a guy that you were, in a way, in a way, following? Mm-hmm. Was, that a, was that also satisfying, mm-hmm. in a sense? Well- first of all i didn't think i was teaching i was really just doing what i do yeah okay you know really and i think that what you were seeing is that when you finally saw that i wasn't being i wasn't trying to be mean or dominate or narcissistic about it right what i was being was yourself i was being myself and i was saying hey you know what i you know i've done this before yeah i've seen people like you and it doesn't turn out good if you don't intervene yeah you know (laughs) <laughs> it just doesn't turn out good. That's that's the story of Gary's life. It doesn't turn out good if you don't intervene. Because yeah. <laughs> Gary you don't was intervene, the great. It doesn't turn out. You good. remember the fight you had with Childress over the the table? That it was the table. Childress didn't like the fact that I, uh, I think because I, I don't know what it was, but he had this table, this tile table that was in front of the TV, and he didn't yeah. want us to like eat on it. You never. Yeah, because I had put my feet up on it or something like yeah. that, and he got he was pissed at me. So he was trying to set set an example by saying nobody can eat it, it uh, on the table, yeah. and you just fucking you you guys lit into each other. Well, like, the problem what I said was, well, then you really shouldn't be out here because this is a living room, and we're going to be living in this room, right? So feet are going to go up on furniture. We're yeah. a bunch of guys. It's that's just the way it's going to be. Yeah. So I don't know how did that end up. Uh, I remember Mike at <laughs> one point said. Bro, you'd argue with a stop sign, wouldn't you? <laughs> Is that to me? <laughs> yeah, that yeah. to you. But you had a point. I think what happened was he, we just hashed it out and we're back. And he's like, just don't put your feet up on the table, but you can eat in front of the thing and, and left it at that. Yeah. I think I compromised. I said, well, we'll put mats or paper or something. something. Yeah. yeah. It worked out, you know. Yeah. Now, Mike wasn't hard for me, but he was really hard for you. Yeah, he was. He was really hard for you. And I, and I can get it because, yeah. you know, I mean, he was... He, he represented something really bad to you. 
Yeah. Well, I didn't have as much of a spine back then, you know? Yeah. I mean, if I had been then what I am now and you had gotten in my face about this stuff, I probably would have just given you a big hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it said, thanks for reminding me, man. You're so right. Yeah. And with someone like Childress, you know, who was being really cruel to me, I think, I don't know, I would have been a lot, what would I have done? Nothing good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, he was right next to me, you know, mm-hmm. like his music and his stuff and he was just doing tall, it was intolerable. So historically then, when you and I lived there, we had an effect on each other. Uh-huh. You left in what, 2006? Uh, I stayed there for another two years, I think, mm-hmm. and saw who came through that place. Mm-hmm. Nothing, there was no healthy growth in there yeah. afterwards. I, when I really look back at it now, I've never thought about this, but you know, I never really connected with anybody else who came there. Yeah. And I was, after a while, when, of course, I was never there for, you know, the two and a half years I was going to Pacifica. I was right. usually gone. Right. So I never really saw what was going on. Yeah. And people would come, I would say, I don't care who you get as a roommate. You know, I just wanted a place to crash at night and then go back to work and, mm-hmm. you know, do what I had to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then get back to school and write, have a, close my door and write papers and get out. Yeah. Know? That was all I wanted to do. And yeah. so I really wasn't connecting with anybody. You know, nothing ever remains the same. You know, it, everything changes. It, nothing remains the same. For things to remain the same, they it's it's almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Relationships change. Everything changes. Mm-hmm. So this place, there's just something about that place mm-hmm. after you left that the new characters just didn't grow with each other. Yeah. You know, I had a relationship with Mike. I had a relationship with you. And there was I had a relationship with another guy, you know, what's his name? The one who drank the martinis and played video games all evening. Remember him, the young guy with the dad who had the restaurant. Oh, Mike, with the other Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a piece of work. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I knew yeah. his dad. His yeah. dad. Uh, I didn't know his dad. I met his dad, and I said, "So, what's up with your kid?" Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. What did he do for work? What did that guy do for work? He was an editor too. He, he was. was. He worked for a, a guy in a wedding who he hated. Right. That's he right. hated that job. Yeah. And he used to, you know, remember make those smelly eggs in the morning, that, that fake egg stuff? He would eat I remember eggs. once you got pissed off at me for uh, making bacon in the morning because he said it destroyed your, wrecked your revelry. Like you came out in the morning, you're just like, it's too much energy, bacon and eggs. No, it's too early, man. I can't. No, no, don't make was, bacon and eggs yeah. in the morning. Like, if I can't make bacon and eggs in my own kitchen, what the fuck is this? No, I don't know. I, I don't remember doing that. Yeah, but, but anyway. With him, he used to make these really crappy ones. These, I remember those are the little, in the box? Yeah, they yeah. were boxes of like, eggs, fake eggs. Why was he eating eggs. that shit? I don't know. Oh, wow. he, his dad had a heart attack, so he had it in his mind that his oh, heart was bad. Oh, that's what it was. And yeah. I, after I, I processed it with him a little bit, I said, yeah. Mike, what are you eating? You know, this is all chemicals. Yeah. This has got to be the, an egg's, an egg's got to be better than this. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he never, he never change that but yeah there was I, I can there was a lot of flatness in that household I, I even though mike childress was was a prick there was something about him that was energetic and like interesting like engaging yeah. like he had he would talk about you know he had the disconnect from his son i think one thing for sure he was a he was sort of a misogynist in a way he had some very odd gender relations it would help me keep my distance from him yeah he was funny though sometimes i remember he had that remember that girlfriend he had that kind of the, the sort of out of it. She was like, oh, yeah. she'd suffered like an accident, some point, like a car accident in <laughs> yeah. her life. And she, I always, I always thought he was just taking advantage of her. But like, I remember I was at, I was at, I was over at the house and he comes out and says to her, now, why would you leave a spoon covered in chocolate on my nice white comforter? And it's clean. Why would you do that? And she said, well, I, I didn't, I didn't do that. I don't know how it got there. 
He said, what do you think? A gnome came, a dwarf came and <laughs> said, I got this chocolate spoon. I'm going to put it right here on my, I'm doing terrible justice to his accent, but fuck him. And, and it was just like, and I just broke down laughing and like, he's laying into this poor woman yeah. and I'm just laughing my ass off in the kitchen because like, I just can't go like this dwarf, I've seen this dwarf fuck around with this chocolate spoon. But he was rough on her. Like, I remember, I remember you told me this. He's remember Mindy, 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 Mindy. Wow. When he broke up with her, well, you pulled that from the deep. I did. Cause I remember it. He said, when he broke up with her, I don't know if you told me this or he told me this. Is like, Mindy, you are the first Jewish girl I dated, and Mindy, you are the last. <laughs> Which right, is kind of rough, right, man. Because right. she was a nice girl. Mm. She was just she and oh, she she became a nurse and she lost her job because she kept leaving the medicine cabinet right. unlocked. Oh Remember yeah, that? yeah. She her brain her she she had tweaked her brain. You Something know? happened. She had brain damage. Yeah, of some poor sort thing. From the accident. She was a sweetheart. I thought. Right. I thought he was kind of rough on her. He was rough on her. He was he, rough on on, on female. Species. Yeah, women. Yeah, really rough on women. Really yeah. rough on women. So, I wasn't rough on women because I didn't have any women because I was a tubbo. <laughs> I didn't have the opportunity. <laughs> well, that opens up that other door, and I was thinking about this, and I wanted to mention this too: is that you had a great face, and a great smile, mm -hmm. and no women around you. Yeah, and I was like, that just pissed me off. Did it? Oh yeah. I was like, what the. F you know, huh? That's nice of you. I didn't yeah. realize that. Oh yeah. Off. Well, I'm like I'm saying. You know, I it's it. I wouldn't project this on you because I wasn't mean. Mm -hmm. But instead, I knew that if you took care of yourself, mm -hmm. you were a good-looking guy. Mm -hmm. You would eventually they would come. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So you build it, yeah. and they will come. You know. Well, and they they sort of did. <laughs> I did build it, and they they. Well, I wouldn't say it's the the what was name? Alexandra Alexandria Alexandra. So yeah, Cynthia Alexandra. It was six years. Six yeah, years. you had a you had a couple few you know yeah. you know relationships there, and yeah. and that to me was a real upstat. I was like, oh, there you yeah. go. He's on he's on a roll. Yeah, you know, I, you could call it a roll, more mm -hmm. like a beginning. Um, no, it's where it begins. Yeah. But you know, without that experience, though, I don't know what kind of female experience you had. Prior to meeting me, I had one girlfriend. One girlfriend, okay. Yeah, one girlfriend. And you were already what in your thirties by then? Mm, I think I was 20, 28, 29, 29, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think the fact that you had all this potential, I guess, is a, is I can't think of a better word. Yeah. But you were like a good-looking guy. You had a great personality, a great smile. Mm -hmm. I mean, that will get you in the door. You can only mess it up after that. Which I was. Which you were very really good, good at. at doing. Yeah, you were very good at doing that. <laughs> that was excellent. You know? I excelled at fucking right. that. And I always thought, you know, in the chess thing, and, and and you had some very interesting chess friends that I used to like. Did Remember I? we used to lay that big chess thing out in the living room and-, and Did uh, you ever meet Tigran? Tigran, right. Wow, you met Tigran. Yeah, he abandoned me. But yeah, he was crazy. I loved him. Yeah. He, went to, he said to me, Ben, if you were not half a Jew, you'd be perfect person. Yeah. Um, I miss him. Yeah, so I guess, what, do you think I fulfilled my potential? Or do you think I still have a ways to go? What do you think, Gary, now? What do you think now? How, okay, how about, so here, and that brings us to this moment. Oh, boy. Um, well, I, you know, my feelings are that sky's the limit. You know, yeah. what, what do you want to do, you know? You got your body, you own your body now. Yeah. You, had, you got some killer life experience. You know, you've been through it a few times, and we both struggled through the whole MFT process. Yeah, which no people joke. don't realize how hard that is. No, how hard is it? It's freaking hard. Yeah, I don't care what anybody says. I mean, you just you go from A to B without going anywhere at all. 
Yeah. That's all I can say. You go through it and all of a sudden you're like, <laughs> well, I haven't really gone anywhere, but yeah, I sure know a lot of stuff yeah. about myself, you know, which is, you know, what we do in therapy is try to help people broaden their awareness so they can make different choices. Yes. Better choices. That's what I tell people. It's like yeah. the mark of good therapy is when you start making better choices. Right. Basically. And if they don't participate, it ain't going to happen. And you know, that's the biggest, biggest issue I have right, you know, right now I'm dealing with. It's like. I got a guy, you know, he's a he's he's a big time scientist working on some big project here in Emeryville, and he's a uh, you know, Harvard grad, and another guy's a Yale grad. And I said, oh, these like really brainy people, mm -hmm. and they're so freaking smart, mm -hmm. but they're so freaking dumb, <laughs> you know? Yeah, you know, they're really freaking smart, but they're yeah. really freaking dumb. They just don't get it, and they they're, they're great to work with because. They can process. Once I understand, especially with one of them, yeah. we get on this wavelength. Right. And I'm really digging his, you know, his science. Right. Because I talk science to him. Mm -hmm. he, he relates in science terms. Mm -hmm. And I get it. When we hit that sweet spot, mm -hmm. you know. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Because when that when it gets into the processor and the processor actually starts working on the right things, I think a lot of really, really hardcore thinking types, they don't spend enough time thinking about things that are actually helpful to themselves. Mm -hmm. They're thinking about, you know, something at work or some mathematical problem or something. Right. It's all anxiety thing. because they're worried about the future. Yeah. You see? Yeah. And, yeah. So they, they get all this anxiety and, so and, true. And, 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 you know, in my direct style, as you know, I'll say, well, you know, you're worried about the future, so you must be anxious. Right. I said, you're not depressed because if you were depressed, you'd be saying, why did this happen to me? Oh shit. Right. You're not looking at the past and going, oh shit. You're looking at the future and going, oh shit. Yeah. That's, that's anxiety. Speaking of the sky's the limit, mm -hmm. um, you know, we've been talking a lot about me and my, my mm -hmm. process. Where do you have an office now or are you? I did, but I had to get, I gave it up. Why'd you give it up? You know, I, I had been working in, um, in residential and, and doing that county work and stuff. And I didn't really, I, st I, I decided to switch over to uh, private practice and I worked for a while at telecare. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't work out. I, I, that, those people are too impaired for me. And, mm -hmm. you know, those jobs like that are just pay buku bucks. Right. And they're very titillating to take. But, man, they're just, mm -hmm. I, I think I'm done with those. Okay. Um, but in any event, um, what was the question again? Um, what are you doing now? Like, oh, okay. So uh, I'm just, you know, picking up clients, mm -hmm. working on them. I got a couple referral services that work. Okay. Just got my website up and um, doing telemedicine. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. So you don't need an office right now. I don't need an office right yeah. now. What What are your specialties? What who do you Who do you like to work with? One thing for sure, I learned a lot about working with addiction. I learned about the neurological functioning of the brain because I had a psychiatrist that I used to use as a referral when I was mm -hmm. at, with the Horizons, and he kind of schooled me on the neurological process of addiction, and it's all the classic stuff you've been knowing and learning about. I was able to extrapolate that information into therapy for just anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and um, a couple's work because how your brain goes, so yourself goes. Yeah. And so I do a lot of psychoeducation on uh, taking care of brain function. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And people, and I, I don't know, they get it. That's awesome. And I was working with uh, uh, Rick Hansen, who do, who's a neuropsychologist. What would you, like, what kind of patient would you see? Like, what would be their issue? Worried about the future. Okay. And so well, you do, and so what kind of interventions are in this neuro stuff? Well, let me start with it here first. A lot of anxiety comes from a very skewed uh, uh, version of what's happened to them in the past. They're buying their past. So it they, they filter things mm -hmm. through to a very negative future. Mm -hmm. So 
when when the anxiety comes up and we mm -hmm. find and we can get to that point where we see where the anxiety is happening mm -hmm. since we can't go one two three okay let's change your past about right. how you feel you what kind of person you are and all this kind of stuff since you can't do that let's inoculate the anxiety filling yourself with oxygen concentrating on inside the body literally breathing in literally right in, sometimes right in the session too then teaching them that you can do this anywhere you could be sitting in the doctor's office and all mm -hmm. of a sudden some you hear somebody scream from a, a hypodermic needle or something right. getting a shot and you start to get anxious you just breathe right through it huh is that like D dbt basically yeah it's kind of like i grab from that yeah. sure yeah it'd be like dbt in a way mindfulness so you're you know? very much in the moment yeah okay yeah so the word i like is one that i've come across recently how to explain i was trying to figure out how this why this attracted me and there is a thing called inoculation type therapies mm -hmm. where in the moment you actually take care of your autonomic system you kind of slow it down mm -hmm. and when you slow it down you start to access a uh, self-healing in a way the, mm -hmm. it starts it, it really is part of the self-healing part mm -hmm. that allows you to regulate you know i see people on the street or just talking regular and you can see that they're just they're revved up yeah and i'm thinking wow man there's enough norepinephrine and adrenaline flying in them right now yeah you know so although there's a reason why they're like that how about just calming inoculating that so you can return to yourself and make a better choice right. or broaden your awareness in the moment and that's all coming out of addiction People who suffer from addiction are often like losing. You know, like that's why they use is to is to is to inoculate their anxiety, but with a chemical right. instead of oxygen. Yeah, and and that's not a difficult one for people who are addicts to get. Yeah, is that I'm using that substance uh -huh. to make myself feel better about yeah. myself because everything that's going on right now, I'm buying into every symptom that's going on right now, I'm buying into. Which is the other part of how I've been working most recently is that helping the client separate themselves from the symptom the symptom is not the cause mm -hmm. it never is mm -hmm. it's the message yes so i walk back through the symptom right to the message okay and then directly approach the, let's start talking about when you when that happens who are you really talking to right you know is it are you trying to satisfy somebody else besides yeah yourself or the person but you also go into their history and stuff so oh, you do yeah. other kind of therapies as real well. fast yeah real, history you know history just get that out you know just get yeah. that you just really get that and then um after i get that all kind of settled in and i get a good a mm -hmm. good snapshot it's really a lot easier to deal with the especially anxiety yeah. it's really a lot easier it's to deal amazing with. how someone's present state is connected to their past and 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 it's and it's an it's hackneyed because everyone everyone knows that mm -hmm. but like when you really start to see the way like you said the guy who was eight years old like you could see that he was eight years old in the room like it's mm -hmm. a direct line it's not like the securitous sort of like oh it's kind of there's there's you're kind of remembering the way it was when you're a kid it's like no it's in the room like their past is here yeah, now and i remember seymour once talked to me about this and he was talking about how our pain is you know he asked me are you going to be a slave to your pain are you going to be a slave to the insanity of your childhood and to the into the things that you're holding on to right. like you know when someone's walking down the street and they're hyperventilating because they're going to be late for work by five minutes because when they were a kid you know who knows maybe their dad was like that or their mom was like that and they would hold that anxiety for their parents and and feel it and they're still they're re-expressing it today you can see it in their face and it's mm -hmm. like bro you don't need, you can drop that 
Mm -hmm. they're they're enslaved they're oh, enslaved yeah. to their history it's incredible to watch it is on wednesday I had a session it just really was really points that out because when i told and this is on telemedicine too mm -hmm. when i told that guy can i show you what your face looked like when you just oh, when you really? just said to me and i just took his face and i went like that that's how you looked and he just like stared at me for like five seconds which is a really long time yeah yeah you just take five seconds of silence right now that's where we were we were both like that and then I just finally said, so what do you think? You know? <laughs> that's intense. Yeah, it was very intense. I don't know if I could take that from my yeah. therapist. That'd be yeah. hard. Yeah, but no, that's intense. That's brave. I, 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 I've you never know, done that. It's a resilient guy, yeah. and he's got a lot of issues, but there was only so much, wow, you're really pissed, aren't you? Yes. Wow, that really makes you angry, doesn't Actually, it? Actually, Seymour used to do that to me when, when I would make a face that he didn't like. He would, just, uh, he, would, he would just do it. He wouldn't even say, this is your face. He would just make my face. And he... <laughs> You would just do oh, it. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. really good. You know, that really is good because that really does mirror in real time and mm -hmm. reflect what's yeah. going on. That makes me think, well, maybe the words aren't even necessary. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's what's great about present therapy. Yeah. Is that, you know, like we we talk like this. Yeah. We, you know, connect in, what do they call it now, Ben? The intersubjective field. I've never heard that before. Yeah, it's the new, it's the new phrases is that therapists now work in the intersubjective field. And feel very important when they say that. Yeah, and feel very important <laughs> when they say that. Because I said you know? intersubjective field, I must right. know what I'm saying. I would saying. never use that with a client, you know, but but that's kind of like um, one of the professors at uh, Pacifica, mm -hmm. was. I was talking to him about that. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh yeah, it's that thing, the intersubjective field now. And I just said, what is that? And then, yeah. he, you know, it's kind of like everything's out here yeah. and it's all subjective. It's not really being objective. And in yeah. therapy, there's this subjective field we go into. You know, it's funny, the things that get in, that, that are in fashion and therapy, like boundaries, like everybody is so boundary this, boundary that. It's like, it's like, are you safe? Is the client safe? Is the therapist safe? Are you safe? It's like, how are we supposed to, Gary, for those of you listening at home, Gary just did an eye roll, so I know he agrees with me. It's like, it's like, how are we supposed to get any work done if all we're doing is sitting around, molly coddling every human being to the nth degree? I mean, mm -hmm. a little bit's fine. Yeah. You taught me that word, molly coddle, yeah. um, years ago. I didn't forget it. And how are we supposed to, to do anything? You know, yeah. and like you give these, that's where you get the sit and nod therapist because everyone's afraid of hurting everybody's fucking feelings and yeah. losing their ego. I, and I, you know, I actually get that because I've heard enough people in a session to understand how fragile it is. Yeah. However, 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 when one person talks to me about boundaries and another person talks to me about boundaries that are being violated, they're talking about usually two different things. Yep. So as soon as I hear the term, when I hear them use a psych psychological term, mm -hmm. I go, okay, timeout. <laughs> Gary just did the timeout with his hands. And it really does stop because we have to make sure we understand our terms. For Beautiful. example, you know, if a guy says something about boundaries, mm -hmm. you know, I go, so what do you mean by that? So mm -hmm. that I understand, mm -hmm. you know? And usually what they tell me has nothing to do with boundaries. It has about them not feeling good about what's being said to them, mm -hmm. which enters a whole nother conversation. Mm -hmm. When in actuality, and I learned this through addiction too, for me, boundaries are what people respond to by how you've defined yourself to them. Hmm. You get it? So how do you want to be defined by people? Right. You have that choice. Right. But but if you don't like what people are doing to you, 
mm-hmm. or what they're saying to you mm-hmm. or acting around you. Mm-hmm. You have defined your boundaries to them, which gives them permission to do that. Boundaries define who you are to someone else. Yes. And because you don't know, like someone doesn't know they're trampling on your boundary if they don't know that what a boundary is to you. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, a random person who doesn't know you, a stranger, mm-hmm. man, you should expect your boundaries to get trampled on if, if they're the kind of person that would do that. Right. And you know, a lot of people are not resilient enough to take a stranger doing that. So respect, essentially, once you define terms, you can respect someone's boundaries. What you're really doing is you're respecting them. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Yeah. But some people, when they get into boundaries, they're just, I think maybe I'm, I'm annoyed at therapists who don't. Like you're actually diving into the word and finding out what it means for each person who mm-hmm. says it, which is great. Yeah, so we have terms. Yeah. But I find that yeah, everyone's treating everybody with kid gloves without without asking. Mm-hmm. Like they, so there's an assumption of what a boundary is. I remember when I was looking for a therapist about, I don't know, early 2000s. And I had I went to therapy for her. And I remember looking through therapists and, I, and, I, and the ones that I always rejected were these types. So Gary- What's going on? What brings you to therapy? Yeah, tell me, tell that, the whole story. Yeah, I remember me, the story. This yeah. is from 2002. Yeah, you, you found really, really good. Oh, Gary, tell me. So, And you were what, going through a breakup, right? I was going through a breakup, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you remember this is great. I do. I remember exactly. I remember exactly. I could actually do the conversation verbatim, but I'll allow you to yeah, yeah. You do it. Um, Here um, it comes. They Here it comes. Asked me the story. They told me, they asked me what the story was, and I told them. And during the telling of the story, mm-hmm. they're like, mm, oh, Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Oh. It's like you can't tell if it's having taken a shit or having an orgasm. Whatever. <laughs> you know, you know, I finally ended up with this guy who was a process therapist, and he was one of those guys. I really liked this guy. And the pinnacle of my therapy ended when he said, when I said something that my mother had done, and he looks at me and goes, Oh, God, what a bitch. <laughs> That's what he said. It was the perfect thing I needed to hear. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because my mother's not a bitch. Right. But that was, you know, he just really mirrored how I was feeling because he yeah. knew I wouldn't say it. Yeah. But yeah. he said it. Yeah. And it just drew me right out. Yeah. Yeah. And I wasn't going to get that from anybody. And I needed that. It's hard. Um, as a therapist, I have to really figure out, you know, because different patients, like I can't be like this way. I can't be this cavalier. Mm-hmm. I can't say things like, man, what a bitch to some th- patients. Yeah. You know, you've got to really hang back, yeah. you know, and that's um, the skill I guess you pick up over time. Well, I think it also is the, you know, the relationship you have with someone, you right. know, like the two trauma people I have, I lost one, right. but one keeps bitching and complaining but keeps coming back right and he's actually making progress but he can't see it yet right and as soon as he sees it mm-hmm. it's going to be a really big thing it's right. going to be really i can say it's going to be huge when he if he finally comes to connect it right that's cool so i i think it's also just sort of amazing that you know here we are you know having this i think pretty high level conversation about therapy and the language of therapy and like can you imagine us having this conversation? You know, no. Eighteen years ago, no. Uh, no. Eighteen years ago, no, no way. You know, we were just kids. Yeah, we were just. I'm more than you, but yeah, you were more of a kid than me. But <laughs> there was no doubt about it that this is. Um, you know, we'll remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We came a long way. Anyway, I think. Um, I think. I think we're good. What do you think? Uh, well, we went through the 187 and. We went through some therapy stuff. I think you should be able to cut all this together pretty nicely. Actually, I don't think I'm going to cut a thing. Oh, no. Yeah, I think I'm going to leave it all in. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna leave it all I'm going in. raw. Going raw. I, I I think you don't do a lot of ums, and you don't do a lot of the things a lot of my guests do. Like you can people have weird speech patterns where they mm-hmm. say the thing is they have they have little and you don't have any of those things. You just say it. And so I was like listening to you as we were going. Like wow, this guy's just. I might cut this part. I don't know, but yeah, it's it's actually really quite succinct and it's really funny too. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think we're really funny, Gary. <laughs> <laughs> I if we ever get somewhere together, yeah, you know, with a crowd of people around. Oh boy, yeah, Look it'll it be so much fuck. fun, man. You know what I'm thinking of doing? I'm what? thinking like come January, you know, with commercial real estate is in the toilet, yeah. like renting out a floor and just opening my own like fucking clinic, school, academy, I don't know what, and just doing it. And like, having, like a jujitsu thing? No, like a therapy, like an institute almost. Like, oh, I like get the you. Russick Institute or the Russick and the Boobash Institute. I don't care. I don't know. I'm the I'm, new R and B. Like, like I mean, between you, me, and this other guy, Brad, I know mm-hmm. we would be like, <laughs> we would be like the three amigos, man. We would, oh. we would because be, Brad's also a jujitsu black belt and a therapist, oh, okay. and really cool. Yeah. I feel like there's not enough, um, with all due respect to the amazing female therapists in the world, I don't feel like there's enough male M- everywhere I MFTs go, I'm, I'm, in particular. We're, we're underrepresented yeah, everywhere. Yeah. So anyway, I'm looking towards the future and I think that good things are coming and um, I'm, I'm going to try to send you more people and I, I think that uh, anyone yeah, who has- GaryBoobash.com. Yeah. If, GaryBoobash.com. I think anyone that has Gary as a therapist is lucky. I'll say that right now. Um, Gary is an amazing man, and I have learned so much from him. He's on a very short list of mentors that I have. I would not be Ben Russick in this incarnation as I am without Mr. Boobash's help. That is a damn truth right there. So, And I know it, and I really appreciate it. And I'm going to have you back on this podcast and make you famous if possible. Do you yeah. want to be famous? Sure. Let's be famous. Let's be famous. Let's be famous. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gary. I think that's it. I like the idea about a institute. Institute. Something like that. Yeah. Institute. The Institute of Russick. Um, or yeah. Gary. Or I don't know what I'll call it. Something. Carl Jung said one of the greatest things about being Carl Jung was he didn't have to be a Jungian. So I'm not sure if I want to. Yeah. And then that one guy said. <laughs> that he was a Jungian and he's oh that's too bad (laughs) he was very very uh, yeah all right guys all right let's I'll see you all later and um, see you in the next episode good night thank you thanks guys bye thank you for listening additional information regarding this podcast will appear in the program notes should you have any questions or wish to be a guest on my podcast, please contact me at benjaminrusick at gmail.com or check out my website at benjaminrusick.com. Thanks again. And remember, should you find that your plate is full? Well, consider getting a bigger plate.